Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, taxing Apple. And Richard, some, some big news recently out of Europe where the European Commission has told Ireland that it needs to recoup with interest – the tax benefits that it's provided to Apple over the last 15 years, that's a total that runs to about 13 billion euros. So I want to do this. We'll get to the merits of that decision in a moment, but why don't you start us with the mechanics here? I think it's probably important for us to distinguish up front that this stems from a particular tax treatment that was given to Apple. Ireland actually has a pretty modest corporate tax, about 12.5%, certainly a lot lower than we have here in the United States. But the commission's hang-up here was not with that general rate of taxation. It was with the specific deal that Apple was getting. So explain what that deal looked like. Well, what happens is uh, the basic principle in Europe is actually reasonably pro-competitive. There are treaties that govern essentially the way in which taxes are to be provided, which prohibit state aid. And this is designed to ensure, quote-unquote, a level playing field amongst various members. And what happens is the general rate in Ireland is 12.5%, but they entered into a special deal with Apple, uh, which created this fictitious home office with virtually no employees. And what they then did is they allocated a large fraction of the gains that were achieved in Ireland to this home office, and essentially that was free from taxes not only in Ireland but everywhere else. And essentially that meant that the total level of taxes went down to a minuscule amount inside Ireland, and uh, all of the this other stuff is put into this tax haven, uh, which was immune from tax from everywhere. And the EU was actually visibly angry about all of this and just regarded it as a complete tax job, uh, a dodge uh, in the way in which it went. And it says Ireland cannot do this. And under the treaties, what it has to do is essentially recalibrate the taxes if this particular sham transaction had never taken place. Uh, well, since you're doing this over multiple years, the, the game seems to be over now. Uh, you have to get it back from, say, I think it was about 2003, and you have to get it back with interest for every year. Uh, so the numbers a very large number. You know, even for a company like Apple, if you're going to be paying well over $15 billion and so forth, having a couple hundred billion dollars in reserve, it's still a real dent. But um, it was, in my view, the kind of transaction which, in fact, deserved the rebuke that it received um, from the European Commission, of whom I am not generally a great fan. Okay, let's talk about that point for a minute because you're, you're looking at a big tax bill for a dynamic, cutting-edge tech company. A lot of listeners to a show called The Libertarian were probably expecting you to be fundamentally opposed for this. And you've written as much. You had a piece in Defining Ideas this week. You're not much bothered by this. Explain why. Well, what happens is um – in general, if you have companies acting completely autonomously, one from another, uh, they're entitled to figure out whatever their tax structure is, independent of any external interference. And so if it turns out that um, Ireland was not a member of this EU treaties um, dealing with harmonization and so forth, and this treaty is called the Treaty of the Functioning of the European Union, it could charge no taxes and no one would be able to do it. The 
problem is if you charge no taxes in Ireland and you're not part of the treaty, uh, then what's going to happen is all the revenues that you generate elsewhere inside the European Union will in fact be subject to all sorts of taxes because other nations could do exactly the same thing and impose very high tax rates on profits that are generated within their country and perhaps even profits that are generated outside their country. This is a very complicated area. Uh, So what's going on here is what they're trying to do is to say we know we have to have taxes inside Ireland and if you're trying to run a free free society, you want goods to go back and forth across boundary lines but you don't want any one state to have a systematic tax advantage over the others and in virtually every one of these unions you develop what is known as a non-discrimination principle which is you have to treat your own income in the same way that you treat anybody else's income so that you can't give favoritism to your company. So if you assume that there's a world without taxes, a nice libertarian world, you know what the terms of trade are going to be between these two countries. The theory is you have to add in the taxes. That's going to make both countries a little bit less efficient. But you don't want to have the additional problem of distortion whereby the tax gives an advantage to one place over another. Now, in this particular circumstances, they're even smarter than that because the treaty prohibition allowed a country to engage in a general lowering of tax rates for all industries. What it didn't allow you to do was to make special deals for any given industry. And that is kind of the position that we have here in the United States because, remember, we also have state taxation of interstate transactions. So if you actually look at what's going on in this this particular situation. The charge is that uh, the European Union was trying to raise the tax rates in Ireland generally to those that are elsewhere, uh, which I would be opposed to wasn't there. What they do is they allow generalized tax competition between jurisdictions, but they don't allow specialized deals for favored countries. And a libertarian generally thinking is usually very suspicious about special transactions, even if they're also suspicious about taxes. You can't do without taxes. You can disagree about what the money is going to be spent on. But in this particular case, I thought it was a remarkably careful opinion, and I did bother to actually go back and read it, um, in which I think they got the various equities in this complex area correct. I did want to ask you about that point on special treatment because stateside in the U.S., you do see efforts being made on a pretty regular basis, especially at the state and local level, to set up special sort of tax or regulatory carve-outs for companies if lawmakers think they have a special value to their community or if they foster economic growth. Um, obviously, you and I can't get into the specifics of all of those different kinds of proposals, but as a matter of first principle, how should our listeners think about those kinds of arrangements? They ought to be very suspicious of them. Um, one of my favorite groups is, of course, the Institute for Justice, and one of the things that they've always campaigned against is special deals that a particular state is going to give in order to lure a particular plant to come. And the reason why you're very suspicious about these tax favors is twofold. One is that internal to the state if you're giving a real favor to the new General Motors plant that's coming into town, what you're going to do is to burden the tax that you're going to start to put on everybody else inside the state, and it's going to have the long-term deleterious consequences of driving some of those firms out and keeping firms that are not yet there from coming in. Uh, The second thing is that when you do these things selectively, it's not at all clear who's going to get the benefit. And so you may give it to one company and then have a silent provision which says you won't give it to their next rival, the direct competitor, when they come in for the 
the same thing. And this leads to a lot of political rent-seeking one side or another. So by and large, you don't like having these kinds of subsidies. What is perfectly clear is that it's much easier to control taxes that are discriminatory against outsiders than to control subsidies because subsidies can be done in so many ways. So it may well be that instead of giving these guys a sort of a generalized tax break, what you do is you agree to erect certain kinds of public facilities from which they will derive a very large relative advantage, but for which they will be required to pay very little. On all of the world trade agreement stuff, trying to figure out how you stop subsidies under rules that have non-discrimination principles have always proved extremely difficult. And this is what happens. Firms, in effect, understand the long-term social uneasiness about special deals and taxation, but they say, I have shareholders, and if I turn down one of these special deals that's offered by XYZ State, I'm going to have to answer to them why I did not honor their fiduciary duty. And so what it is, is you kind of get yourself into a prisoner's dilemma game. Everybody sort of believes that you're better off in a world in which these favors are not going to exist. But given the fact that they do exist, everybody's determined to make sure that they get the biggest and best part of these kinds of versions. So this is a general open wound in all kind of multi-jurisdictional trade arrangements, whether you're talking internationally or whether you're talking among states inside the United States. While we're on the broader topic, will you take a moment to reflect on America's corporate tax structure? On, on the right, there's a longstanding criticism that the corporate tax rate is too high. It's 39.1 percent, so third highest in the world behind Chad and the UAE. At the same time, on the left, there's been a big backlash to the practice of corporate inversions. company moves its legal domicile and, and gets a better tax rate. You hear people on the left sometimes accusing the executives who take advantage of arrangements like that as sort of being insufficiently patriotic. Um, what's your read on the state of play with corporate taxes in America, and what would a good system look like? Well, I mean, the system you're talking about is one that's supported by people like Elizabeth Warren, who actually wrote about this in a rather testy column in the New York Times. And, you know, it's a pretty reliable sign that whatever she's in favor of, I'm going to be against. <laughs> and I, I think the first thing that one has to do is to recognize that tax competition across jurisdictions is, in fact, an important feature. It's very difficult to figure out direct constraints that you could put on taxation, given the ingenuity of government. And so one of the standard things about legal theory is that the exit right under a federalist system is, in fact, a nice way to threaten governments with leaving if they want to raise taxes too high. And at the state level, this actually works pretty well. States have discovered that if they try and raise their corporate taxes too high or the individual income taxes too high, they start losing business to other kinds of places. And this tends to be a moderating influence because you get tax competition coming in. And I think in effect, if you're trying to get businesses to locate in the United States, having a lower tax rate is a way to invest and to attract capital. Because even though it turns out American companies may not be that willing to leave or to take all their business out, two things happen. One is foreign people don't come in at all and they start to develop elsewhere and then sell goods in the United States. So you miss out on the jobs that would otherwise come from having you in the company. And the other things is companies which may not do tax inversions will divest by littles. Instead of opening up the new plant in the United States, they'll open it up overseas. Instead of having the new employees train in this country, they'll have them train somewhere else. And, you know, if you start doing that, it's a kind of a slow death. Now, what makes it so difficult in all of these cases 
is that you can have a perfectly sensible rule which says that you know you want to book sales in the country in which the transactions actually take place. And that's pretty good when you're doing things with respect to retail outlets in Paris instead of Berlin. But there's so much slippage in a system when you could start having online sales which could be pretty much booked everywhere and where you have all sorts of profit centers that are somewhat difficult to locate. And so having a relatively low tax system means that these discretionary kinds of revenues are more likely to come in your direction than go everywhere else. And so for that reason, too, one wants to sort of get people to come to the United States, but it's an extremely difficult problem if you're running a large company like Apple and many of the transactions that you have don't have an obvious geographical location, exactly how you apportion the tax amongst very places. Now, the inversion problem is not designed to make sure that American companies don't pay American tax on American-generated income, but there is this corporate income from everywhere And if you try to repatriate to the United States, you're given a credit for the taxes you pay in your home jurisdiction, but you have to pay a fortune, i.e. the difference between that local rate and the United States rate, you have to pay that to the federal government. And so this then leads to people saying, well, I can't basically run one of these these deals. It's just too expensive to bring it home. Then you get the tax lawyers on it. What they'll try to do is to arrange loans, often through third parties. And so you get the money back and then you pay it overseas. But since it's not a dividend, it's not going to be subject to the tax. And if you start having very high tax rates, as the United States does, what it does is an open invitation to these kinds of difficulties. The next problem, and I'll just end on this, is you then say, well, we have to stop these inversions. We have to start these exits of funds and so forth. But it's very difficult when you have a complicated set of systems to know exactly what you do. And one of the complaints that people have said about the current system of trying to tax the exit dollars is that it's so complicated that it interferes with everybody's standard routine transactions that take place between the United States and everywhere else. It's huge amount of our business is now done on an international basis. And if every one of these transactions is subject to a treasury oversight, the compliance course can simply wreck the entire system. And that seems to be what's happening today on this issue. So controlling the inversions is a big mistake. Lowering the corporate tax is a much more sensible option. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit Hoover.org.